0: We as a church have been studying the book of Mark, and today we continue that as well. Before we dive in, one of the things that I want to share with this today we read two accounts that we are about to study today. One is about Jesus casting out, Jesus casting out, Jesus calming the raging sea, this storm. Another account we read in chapter five is Jesus performing exorcism, casting out demon in this man. Now, it's chapter four and five. When we read a scripture, it's really easy to think that because of this division, these are completely separated events, these are unrelated. We just happen to break it by chapter division, so it's, there's no point in those two stories. Well, there is, actually. In fact, while the Word of God is inspired, God breathed, chapter division and verses are not. Which I mean by the chapter division and the verse are man-made. <laughs> Around 13th century during Latin and Vulgate, for convenience sake, they added chapter, division, and verse, which is really helpful for us. Now that I can tell you, go to Mark 10, verse 18, you know exactly where to go. Without that, it would be really confusing. While it's helpful, subconsciously also allows us to think that those are completely unrelated stories. Chapter 4 and chapter 5, completely two different stories. No, the gospel writer is trying to tell us a one unified story there. What is the story that you and I sometimes miss? Today, we are going to talk about the power of Jesus. How He can change us, you and I, today too. So three things that we will explore in the today's read passage is this. First, we will learn about the power of Jesus displayed in this passage. It's two accounts that we read. It's mighty power of Jesus is displayed. display. Second, that we will talk about... What actually hinders us, what hinders you and I to experience the very power of Jesus today? We know that Jesus is powerful and mighty, but there are a lot of things that hinders us from truly experiencing and living out this power of Jesus, the very gospel in our lives. And third, lastly then, how do we change that? How do we move from hindrance to truly experiencing Jesus' presence and power every day in our lives? Those three things are what we are going to talk about. So first, let's talk about the power of Jesus displayed in this passage. In the first account we read in the chapter 4, it would be a great idea for you to open up the Bible and see what this account is by yourself so that you know I'm not just making this story up. You can follow that. We read at the end of chapter 4 and chapter 5. In the first account in the, we read in Jesus in Mark chapter 4, here, Jesus sleeps on a boat. Jesus taking a nap. And there's a mighty rushing wind. There's a raging storm happens, and disciples are panicking. What is happening is this. Is this. If you ever go to Jerusalem or Jerusalem, Israel, well, Jerusalem is part of Israel, you will notice the Sea of Galilee is very low of sea level. It's about 700 feet below sea level. And just about 30 miles north of Sea of Galilee, there's Mount Hermon, which is about 9,200 feet above sea level. In just a matter of 30 miles, there's almost 10,000 feet level difference. As a result, a lot of cold air descends from Mount Hermon, and warm air, if you know anything about science, warm air rises from the Sea of Galilee. What's the perfect recipe for what? Storm, exactly. As a result, this storm in the Sea of Galilee, because of this high altitude gap, was frequent, it was deadly, In ancient Arab culture, in Arab, this storm was, even in this day, Galilean fishermen know this evening when there's easterly, they call it sharkia, which means shark in Arabic. It's been deadly, they're afraid of it. When you think about it, these are professional fishermen. They're used to the storm. This is not like they don't risk it, they know it. Yet for them to be afraid, it must have been the one of a storm. For them to be used to with this storm, they know this is all altitude gap, and they are panicking because of this rising storm that is something that is unheard of, unseen, that they don't know what to do. Now, sea is such a terrifying place in all the ancient cultures, not only in Israel, but when you look around the world as well, sea is often known as a place of destruction and death. So, actually, if I can give one example globally, like I give a couple of examples of my where I'm from, Korea and also Japan as well. South Korea is a country that essentially went through 0% Christianity to 50% in a matter of one century, 1900 to 2000. But even to this day, the least evangelized area is near the coast, typically. Japan is the second most unreached people group in the entire planet. There are so many idol worship, especially near the coast when you go there. So a lot of fishermen go out, they are trying to grab something. Oh, I could die there. Uh, let me worship the God of seas who will protect me. It's, it's a, such a place of terror and destruction. And for disciples to run into this kind of mighty storm, they are panicking. They don't know what to do. They're afraid. So they wakes up Jesus. Verse 39, what does it say? Jesus, wake up. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died and it was completely calm. There is no abacadabra in Jesus. There's no magic broom. He doesn't do all, okay, let me show you what I got. Let me see what I got under my sleeve. No fancy, just boom, quiet, be still. Game over. Just like that. Mightiest storm perhaps they've seen, calmed by a couple words of Jesus. Jesus, no big deal. But what is very interesting about this passage, look, verse 40 and 40 what does Jesus say? He said to his disciples, What are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even though wind and waves obey him. Initially, they were afraid of the storm. But Jesus calmed the storm, and now they are terrified. Meaning what they were afraid is gone. But now they are more terrified. Why? They know they have come to face some of a greatness. They are realizing that Jesus is greater than the greatest storms they have seen. And they are like, whoa, who is this? Wind and the waves all obey at his voice, just like that. And they realize the mighty power of Jesus displayed at this case. That's the story number one. Now, Story number two that we saw in the chapter five, here, Jesus casts out the demon. Just tuck the power of Jesus in your mind. Now, Jesus casts out the demon. He performed exorcism there. Uh, and then Jesus casts out the demon, and this demon's running this bunch of pigs. Pigs run down the hill and dies. Poor pigs, but game over. Just like that. No, again, abacadabra, Jesus does it. Get out and Done. When you read this passage, sometimes we live in such a modern, western, developed, rational culture, have no words for this demon exorcism that's going on. You might think in our culture and mind, we might say, well, Jesus and John Mark, the author of this book, you guys just didn't have the language. Was this mental bi- it's a mental health issue? Is this bipolar? Perhaps he's having seizure." Jesus, you just didn't know proper language. Mark, what are you doing? You don't know what you're talking about. We might be able to think though because we don't have a category for this demonic possession that Jesus is talking about here. Is that really what was going on? Jesus just didn't know better. He was out of time. Perhaps he did not have all the language of mental health, perhaps bipolar you know, spectrum. Uh, he has anger tantrum. No, actually gospel writers did have a language for that. When you look at like Matthew chapter 4, 24, there's a account, it says, news about Jesus spread all over Syria and people brought to him who were ill with various diseases, those who were suffering the severe pain, those who were demon-possessed, those who were having seizures, and those who were paralyzed. And Jesus healed them all. Clearly, gospel writers had a different category in, my, in their mind, and he clearly just sees that it's demon-possession here. So what Jesus is dealing here in this case it is something that is far beyond the physical and mental. but It is something that is spiritual that sometimes we, in our mind, don't have any category of. But even in this supernatural scenario, we see Jesus did not need 50 diagnostic question. Are you depressed today? Are you having some sort of harmful thought? How are you eating? Are you eating well today? No, nope, Jesus just rules that out right away. Jesus did not need to drop blood or run MRI CAT scan that wrecks a medical bill. He just sees the situation right away, said this is something beyond the situation. And he just tells it, go away. And just like that, demons cast out and boom, goes down the drain. Basically, it dies just like that. So here in Bosa, kind of Jesus calming the storm and casting out the demon, shows the mighty power of Jesus at display. The nature and the demons even obey the mighty power of Jesus. I think you and I clearly see that Jesus is powerful. He is greater than anything that you can imagine. Second thing we learn, however, the hindrance to experiencing Jesus' power in our lives. Now, if you believe that Jesus is God, if you gathered here and if you have some sort of understanding that He's your Savior, then you believe Jesus died. It wasn't just temporal. Heart stopped and needed a CPR. He was fully dead for three days, yet rose from the dead. Somehow, if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't really have a problem believing that. You assume that and you believe that. And somehow, this is not too hard to believe for you because you're like, if Jesus really is God, if Jesus is who he claimed to be, he better be able to calm the storm. He's God. He better be able to rule over demons. He better be able to do that. So you don't have a problem really believing that. But somehow, even if you believe that Jesus can calm the storm, you have every problem believing that Jesus can calm your storms that you are walking through your life today. Somehow, you have no problem believing that Jesus is mighty God who has saved us, but you are so worried about every single affairs of your life. What is that for you? The storms of life that you are walking through, that you are doubting. Jesus, can you calm my storm that I'm walking through right now. What are you losing sleep and night about today? Anything that popped up in your mind when pastorship led us congregational prayer? Oh God, I am so worried about this or that. In relation to uncertain future that you are facing today, somehow you have no problem believing that your eternity is secure, but you're worried about your tomorrow. You have no problem believing that Jesus can calm the cosmic storm. But you have every doubt that Jesus, can you calm my storm that I'm walking through today? Uh, There's massive family issues. Money is tight. Job security. Health failure. Somehow, I believe it too that Jesus is my God. He can do anything. But God, oh, your disciples are panicking. What is that for you that you have no problem believing the power of God in mighty sense but somehow functionally speaking in your day to day your life you believe that he's God and powerful but in your day to day life you don't really believe that he's going to carry it through Something is mis- misfiring between your head and heart something is misfiring between the cosmic scale to your own personal life What is that Let me give you kind of a couple of reasons why you are not experiencing truly believing and living out this power of Jesus first. It's because you are thinking too much about yourself. What's happening here? When the storms of life happen, it is so easy to get sucked into the storm of your heart. Uh, You think too much about the circumstances in relation to you, how it affects you. As a result, all you see is you, not Jesus who can calm the storm who can calm your storm. So as a result, you convictionally believe that Jesus is able, but you functionally believe that you are the one who needs to calm the storm. So you get self-absorbed completely. You're trying to figure out, trying to understand, trying to control and tame the storm of your life with your own power and might. You think, Jesus, you're not even there. You forget it. You know he's there. But you just control, constantly consumed of you and yourself. As a result, all you can say is you forfeit joy and the peace that God grants you. And you're like, ah, you're absorbed completely with yourself. How do you know that you are thinking too much about yourself today? A couple diagnostic questions. First, there is some sort of paralyzing worry within you. You're tormented by that. Like if, when you look at second account, this is man was possessed by impure spirit. Look at verse 5.5. 5. What does it say? This man is torn apart. five five Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with the storms. There is some sort of inner torment. Day and night, there is consuming nature that just something consumed you. I uh, Just to name it, let, let's, have, let's have a chat here, church here, Okay. We all worry about something. You don't need a major degree to learn about how to worry. Somehow, we are born with that. What is that? Sometimes it changes season by season, doesn't it? You worry about this, uh, comes to pass. You worry about that, comes to pass, another. But even the topic of worry might change. The degree of your obsession does not. Whether it's major, minor, you're so consumed by it that you're like paralyzed with worry. Therefore, peace and joy is all fragile to you. Why? Because you're just looking at yourself as if you are the one who can calm the storm. Absolutely not. I'm not able. Neither you are. But we are just on our self-reliance mode often. Another reason that you know you're thinking too much about yourself, that hinders just from truly relying on the power of Jesus, is that you're constantly fearful and afraid. Uh, Just like disciples are afraid, that they're fearful, like, unassumingly, when you're so afraid and fearful, Shelton, when you dig deep down in your heart, at the core of it, you believe that you are sovereign over your own life. What is that for you that you're thinking, the fear, all that rise, thinking, I must control, I must do something. Therefore, there's no, ba- there's no balance, equilibrium of your soul. There's no balancing chemicals in your heart. You believe God's sovereignty and your responsibility, but all you can think about your responsibility completely forgetting letting go that god is still ruling over all and you're constantly living at the verge something triggers boom you either explode or implode how does that look like to you you know what that leads to when you're constantly fearful and afraid even jesus grants what you want you're still afraid just like disciples are still terrified after jesus to the storm Even if you might feel like Jesus is sleeping on a boat in your life today, Jesus is still there with you. Pastor Tim Keller once said, the absence, the sense of his absence is the very sign of his presence. Meaning, if you are crying out, God, where are you? I don't even know where you are. Are you even there? That is the very sign that he's right there with you today. Because if God is really absent, you won't even look out for him. You won't even care. you are indifferent, going about mind-numbingly your own business. You clearly see that God is able, isn't it? Jesus is God who conquered the death. He can calm the storm. He can cast out the demon. But somehow you don't believe that he will come through in your own life. Because number one, you're so caught up with yourself, constantly worried and fearful. Number two, another reason that we don't really experience Jesus' power in our lives is because you are bound by or giving yourself to the impure spirit. Notice what happens in chapter 5 here. When you look at there's demon possessed man, like look verse 23, what happens here very carefully. 5 2 When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in hills, he would cry out and cut himself with a stone. Do you see that in verse 3 it says no one could bind him anymore. What does that mean? It implies that somebody was able to bind him before, but day and night he grew stronger and stronger stronger with his impure spirit, and they could not bind him anymore. In other words, whatever this impure spirit was inside of him, initially, it was controllable, manageable. But as it left, as it is, it grew and grew. It gave you more power. At the same time, the power that it gave you made you a monster. So whatever that is impure spirit is in you, what do we learn here? Unless you're really controlled by Jesus, you will always be controlled by something. Whatever it controls you, more and more and more it grows you. Let it be. It will take over you. What is that controls you today, Chelton? What is that? Apart from Jesus, ultimately, whatever you desire, ultimately, when it takes over you, you think that will make somebody powerful and strong just name that if you think money is the hope of your life you think if i have only more money i'll be great sure if you accumulate more money you think you'll become more powerful you're able to do more but if that becomes the ultimate meaning of your life before you know it, you have become a monster money will take over your life power will take over your life just name that. fame will take over your life what is that for you If even the good things, peace and harmony or comfort is the number one primary meaning of life that you find a meaning in your life, when there's no health in your body, health is failing, oh, you'll be distraught. You'll be a very unpleasant person. Whatever it is that becomes primary meaning of life, it might feel like it make you powerful, but in the end, if that's all you care about in life apart from Jesus, before you know it, You just want to cut yourself like this impure man because you thought this will fulfill, you make you something, but there is nothing in your life. Sometimes the more you get what you desperately long for, the more you become a person that you never intended to be. This guy got all the power, but more and more he became, no one was able to bind him, and then in the end, he became the person that is so torn apart in and out. You're like, Wait a second, Jin. Excuse me? Even apart from Jesus, there are many good things. I want love. That's what I want the most. That's a good thing, right? Love is a great thing. Oh, that's right. Yes, you can desire for love. But if you find ultimate meaning of life through love, what are you going to do when your spouse betrays you? To the degree that you have some love to somebody, when that person betrays you, it will cut you to the core of your heart. None of those are strong enough to sustain you and carry you through. Whatever you find the primary meaning of life, apart from Jesus, even good thing, in the end, that will take over you, and you become the person that you never intended to be. But our Jesus, He will never betray you and forsake you. The scenario is endless. Just fill the gap. Why are you not really experiencing power of Jesus? First, because you are just consumed of yourself. Of course, all you feel is worry and fear when you look at circumstance and the storms of your life. And also, you are just giving your heart away, giving yourself away to this impure spirit, whatever that looks like. Now, it is no accident that Mark puts this two account back to back. It is so much, you think it's an accident that Mark talks about the external storm and the internal storm no, it is typically so much easier to see the external storm of life. Oh, yeah, that's bad, that's bad. As long as that's taken care of, I'll be okay. But here, Jesus said, there's internal storm within you. Whatever the impure spirit is within you. When you read this passage, one of the easiest things is, oh, this is demon possession, not me. Oh. No, what possesses you today? <laughs> there are things that possess me as well, Shelton. I get worked up that sometimes I feel like, oh, man, I'm becoming a monster that I don't want to be. As I said, we, no one needs to major in worries, right? When I get worried about something, oh, that's all I can think about. And dear friend of mine who happens a lot of time, process, often tells me, "Jen, when you get worried, you talk like a madman. <laughs> you know that? You just talk like a madman over and over. I know it's a joke, but it's really half-truth is in that. What my friends, man, is when I get worked up with the stuff, it consumes me. It really does. And it binds me, really. I feel like that's all I can think about. Like this man who was bound by this impure spirit that becomes me. And before I know it, I talk like a madman, can't shake it off. And more it consumes me, I forfeit all the peace and joy that God grants in my life. Voluntarily, it torments me day and night. I completely forget that Jesus can calm the storm and as if I'm trying to control the storm in my own life. Therefore, there is no patience but panic. That's all I feel in my life oftentimes. So what is there for you today? What hinders you from truly experiencing the power of Jesus? Are you thinking too much about yourself? There's always worries, always fear. Or are you giving yourself to the impure spirit or whatever in your life that you are consumed by it? Lastly, third, then, how do you turn around? We talked about a lot of problem, right? We talked about greatness of God who can calm the storm, and yet we don't really believe that functionally because we are so consumed of it. How do you change then? How do you turn around? Don't you really want to yield yourself to the power of God so that you can fully leave that out? I do. I don't like to get upset. I don't like to get frustrated constantly. I don't like to worry. How do you change? How do you turn around today? Third, how to experience the power of Jesus without hindrance today. When you look at the chapter 5 of this demon possession, I don't know whether you noticed or not, but apart from Jesus, there are actually two other voices speaking, two other voices present. First, like, there's demon and also the demon possessed man in this case. Like, look at it, verse 12, this time it's demon speaking. The demon begged Jesus, "'Send us among the pig, allow us to go into man.'" So it is the demon who is speaking, demon who is begging. But look at verse 2, 1 through 6. Even though this man has been possessed by this impure spirit demon, it is this man speaking. Verse 2, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tomb to meet him. And what does this man do? Verse 6, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees, in front of him. Chelton, this first 6 may well be the best thing this impure-spirited man has ever done in his life. I don't really care about your past. I really don't. I don't care how messed up you are. And who cares about what I care? Chelton, no matter what walks of life you're walking through, no matter how frustrated you are, how angry you are, how much you are in despair today, you can always come to Jesus. This man, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. This is the greatest day of turning point in his life. For those of you, you might say, well, but Jen, I don't even know whether I believe in Jesus. Who is this Jesus guy you're talking to? But at least don't you want to admit that you want to be liberated from your own self-obsession? You are searching for a meaning of life, Don't you want something beyond yourself? You might say, oh, but you don't know what I've done. I'm not that good. You know what I'm struggling with. You don't know what I did yesterday. You don't know what I did last week, Jin. I don't. But if the demon-possessed man can come to Jesus and Jesus still embraces him, you can still come to Jesus today. He's ready to welcome you. No matter what worries and anxiousness you carry in your life, you can come to Him. This is the first step of cure and turning around, children. Sometimes you feel like, I don't even know whether I can come to God. I'm struggling with the same sin. Oh, this one thing over and over and over again. Can I still come to Him? Absolutely. If the demon-possessed man come to Jesus and find hope, you and I can certainly do today first to cure to turn around to experiencing jesus power is come to him just as you are it's really okay really really okay to be not okay i feel like more of my days is not okay than okay and he asked me to come to him just as i am so first step is to come to jesus second thing to cure how to turn around to really experience the power of jesus share with others what god has done Here, Jesus cast out the demon in this man. Read verse 18 and 20. What happens here? As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he had mercy on you. So the man away and began to tell in the Decapolis, all the cities around, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Here now, Jesus tell it, share what I've done. Sometimes all we share is our worries. All we share is our despair. But if there's anything that God has done in your life, in your heart, even today in our worship service, share with others. Why are we so prone to share about our worries? Why are we so prone to share about ah, whatever uncertain future looks like? rather than sharing about the joy of the Lord that we so easily forfeit. And as these people are sharing, all the people are amazed. And later when Jesus goes into this new town, people have heard about Jesus already because this man was already sharing with all others all the great things that God has done. What is the cure to turn around? First, we talked about it. Come to Jesus just as you are. Just as you are, as messed up as you are, He's ready to welcome you. And when He heals you, mend you, it's no longer a wound. It may become a scar, but the scar is the faithful of mark of God of how He has healed you. Show it to others. I was wounded, but this is how God has healed me. Tell it to others. What is that for you that God is working in your heart today? We might look at this storm account or demon possession and say, not for me. That's... No. It has implication for all of us. And... If you cannot think about, oh, I don't know any joys of my life. I'm, I, all I can think about is my worries, what's not going well, my family, my children, my job, my friends, my other extended families. Well, there's one thing that Jesus has done for you. What is that? In this passage, Jesus delivers a man from demon. But guess what? God is, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, God has delivered all of us from the possession of demon. We were in the hell-bound race. But how did he deliver us from the hell-bound race that once we were on? Because Jesus delivered himself. Jesus subject himself to the devil at the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus subject himself to all the evils of the, this world called our sin. All the sin was laid on himself. As a result, he descends. He perishes to hell. But because through his weakness, through the power of Christ, that is weak to the world, but to us, that is the very life-changing effort, life-changing magic, life-changing hope, life-changing peace, all because of Jesus took it all on himself to the cosmic darkness, cosmic evil of all our sins. And now because of Jesus as Christ took on your sin, now you have a joy that you can share with others. Hey, I was a demon-possessed man. I was the one who was in pure spirit. Yes, I still struggle, but now I can share about Jesus, the very power of the cross, what he has done for me. I'm a new man. That does not mean I don't have any storms of a life. They may still well be there, but I don't care. My Jesus is with me. I can still walk uprightly. I know I still have this obsession of my heart but I'm a new man by the power of the cross, what he has done. That's something worthy of you sharing. Why are we, why am I so prone to share about my worry and my fear only without sharing what God has done in our lives? You have something incredible good news that Jesus has done for you at the cross for our sin. Do you want to turn around? Do you want to really change today? Come to Jesus as you are just like this impure-spirited man and share all that God has healed you with one another. And I pray that as you do that, your joys in the Lord will be doubled because you together looked behold our Christ who has saved us from our sin and from our darkness. Let's pray together. Oh God, this is the very power of the cross we believe and we sing. Oh Lord, Sometimes when we read this kind of passage, we're like, okay, Jesus is greater. He can calm the storm. He can do mighty things. But somehow we do not translate that into our own lives. As a result, we are fearful. We are afraid to be found out. We, are, we don't worry about our eternal security, for we know Jesus has gotten it. But we worry about tomorrow and today. But, O Lord, just like this man came to Jesus just as he is, whatever his motive was, he still came to Jesus and knelt. I pray that that will be us. And, O Lord, for those of us who have experienced this mighty power of Jesus to redeem us from darkness to light, I pray that we will be the first one to share the good news with one another. For gospel changes everything. It changes our heart and behavior and everything of us. We believe in the power of the cross, power of the gospel, O Lord. Hold us, sustain us when we doubt, when we are prone to be fearful. Help us to look to you. In Jesus' mighty, saving, and hopeful name we pray. Amen.